be in the book of Joshua this morning, chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Good morning. Joshua chapter 2. A few weeks ago, we had a panel in which the staff, or at least some of us from the ministry staff, shared with you our favorite Bible stories. We asked for you to share with us your favorite Bible story, and then we would take the summer and each Sunday in turn go through uh, one of those favorite Bible stories. We had uh, 20 or 30 Bible stories submitted. I had more bi- stories submitted than are actually in the Bible. Some of them, no, they were all in the Bible. Uh, and so I selected 12 of them. And uh, so for the next 12 Sundays, we'll be doing really your favorite Bible story. So this morning, uh, the Bible story we're covering is the story of Rahab in Jericho, in Joshua chapter 2, as well as Joshua chapter 6, I want to remind you, uh, we talked about a couple of weeks, when we use the term story in the Bible, we're talking in particular about narrative, historical events. Story, we do not mean Aesop's fables or inspirational made-up stories. These are historical realities. If you want to visit Jericho, there is a place you can go, and that's where Jericho was. So it's not that these are made-up stories, it's just we use story to refer to uh, as narrative. So we're in... Uh, Joshua chapter 2. I want to show you a picture, a picture of an airplane. Very detailed picture. What does this remind you of? should make you think of something in particular. My favorite movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anytime Indiana went anywhere. I don't know what you think Indiana Jones. There's really two ways to think about Indiana Jones. Either Indiana Jones is the Goonies for grown-ups or Goonies is the Indiana Jones for kids. Either way, they're both fantastic. Indiana Jones, anytime Indiana went anywhere, you get on a plane, and the plane would fly over a map like this. We just grabbed this off to Google. And, uh, and, and a little red line would follow that map, all the stops. You know, there was no nonstop from San Francisco to northern Africa. You know, you had to make 17 stops on your way. And so all these little red dots would show up every time he stopped, and then it changed planes. And, and so what we're going to do, we're going to talk this morning about Rahab for sure. We're going to talk about a scarlet cord that you may be familiar with, with Rahab. But what we are going to do that may be even more important than that is we're going to follow that scarlet cord on a number of stops that it takes in places other than Jericho. And we're going to look at this scarlet cord isn't only in Jericho. As a matter of fact, it runs from your... Book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation. So this morning we're going to talk about the scarlet cord of hope in the life of Rahab, and then we're going to follow that through all the, many of the stops that we see it in your Bible. 
Where are we at in Rahab? Though people of Israel have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't invade the land when God told them to because they didn't trust God. And so they've been wandering around. Moses is dead. Joshua is now leading. And Joshua has sent two spies into the land to scope it out and tells them in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, pay particular attention to Jericho. I don't know what Rahab fought when these two guys show up at her door. I don't know if they knocked or if they just barged in. I'm not entirely certain what these two guys were doing at Rahab's door. We might presume they were doing what everybody does when they're showing up at a prostitute's door, but it may very well have been that her home served as a tavern, as a lodging point, as a waypoint for travelers. Maybe you might imagine if you enjoy watching westerns, there would be a saloon in town, and in the first floor of the saloon, there's the bar where you get your shot of whiskey or your beer and maybe a bite to eat. But then there was upstairs. And upstairs is, no, it's upstairs. You know what I'm talking about. And so it may very well have been that Rahab's func- house functioned in this way. It was a tavern. It was a, it was a stopping off point. It was a restaurant. It was a place of lodging where also a prostitute could uh, conduct her business. But we don't know what she was thinking or what the spies were thinking as they showed up at her door. A couple of things we do know about the spies. They were sent to go in to spy out the land, in particular Jericho. Another thing we know about the spies, they're terrible at their job. Verse 3 or verse 2 of Joshua 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, men of Israel have come here to search out the land. They've been in Jericho five minutes. And they're discovered. I don't know what you know about spying. I don't know a lot, but I do know getting found out is like one of the things you don't do. And my guess is, I mean, did they put a disguise on? I have no idea. But anyway, they're very quickly uh, found out. So they're in her place. They're spying out the land, and she brings them in, and they're going to lodge there, but quickly uh, they are discovered. She hides them up on her roof, or we'll discover later in a bunch of flax. And some king's men show up at her door. And they come in and they tell her, bring out the men who have come into your home. Bring them out because they're here to spy out the land. And Rahab says to the, the king's search party, she goes, oh, you know what? You know, they were here, as a matter of fact. Uh, good tippers, you know, good, you know, good guys. But you know what? They bailed. They got out of town before the gates were closed, but you know what? And she says, you know, you guys are fast. I bet if you were to get out of here real quick, you could catch up to them. I I think you you got, I mean, look at you guys. You're strong, you're fast, you've got your Nikes on. I'm sure you could find them right away. What is Rahab doing telling them, hurry, you might find them. What's she avoiding? There's no time to search the house. There's no time to look up in the roof on the flax. She wouldn't have said this. She's smarter than all of the men involved in this story. Let's just be honest about that. Because uh, uh, these three guys, or how many guys they were, like, oh, that's a good idea. We should go get them. And so they go flying out of the castle and just, or out of the city. And just as they leave the city, the doors are closed. The doors of Jericho had only opened at night, or only opened in the morning. And once they're closed at night, you're done. So they're going to go out and look for the guys. The guys have never left the house. The guys, in fact, are up on her roof, hiding under her flax. There's an interesting detail in here. I just like these kind of details. Verse 6, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax she had laid in order on the roof. 
Now you put the flax in on the roof to dry it out so that you can then use it for whatever you're going to make uh, your, your flax into so you lay it out. There's a couple of different ways you can lay out your flax. You can haul your flax up onto the roof and do like I would do. Just chuck it out on the roof. The whole roof's warm, right? But then you got the way that, that Rahab does it. What's it say? She laid it out in order. We discover something about Rahab here. She's a little OCD. Lines it up. And then when she goes up to talk to the guys, I'm sure she said this. After they get out from under the flesh, put it back the way you found it, guys. Come on. we got a way of doing things. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. If you keep it in order, it dries it more efficiently and more evenly and avoids mold or something. I don't know. It has nothing to do with the story. I just find that detail interesting. So can you imagine those guys up on the roof? What do you think they're thinking? What, what, what's happening? See, here's the problem with some of the Bible stories we become so familiar with. They're written in such a way that when you get to the end of verse 8, you're supposed to be going... What's going to happen? Is she going to rat him out? Is she going to, is she going to blackmail him? Is she going to kill him? Are they going to kill her? What's going to happen? But the problem is we've heard this story, this story since we were three. And we know what's going to happen. And we, and we maybe have never read it the way the Bible lays it out. And it's intended. We've got, a, we've got an author here who knows people like to read stories like this. And he's building some suspense. We get to the end of the story. What's going to happen? What do the spies want? What does Rahab want? What's going to happen? Is somebody going to die? Is somebody going to get turned in? Is somebody going to seek a reward or seek to get paid off? Or what, what could possibly happen? And the strangest thing happens. The strangest thing happens. Rahab gets saved. All of a sudden, a spying out the land mission becomes an evangelism event. All of a sudden, it goes from two guys looking at a city they're going to conquer and a woman who is uh, working in her uh, tavern to, a, to an event where somebody finds faith in the Lord. Pat read it, but let's look at it more closely. Before the men lay down to go to sleep, she came up on the roof. Now, the conflict's about to happen now. She said, I know the Lord has given you the land. What? What'd she just say? I know the Lord has given you the land. Anybody wondering this? How does she know this? How does she know this information? Let's find out. Here's what she says. Look, the fear of you has fallen on everybody. And here's the reason. And she tells them exactly two Bible stories. First story, story of the Red Sea. What happened at the Red Sea? People of Israel were in Egypt. They were slaves. They had been slaves in there for 400 years. God, through Moses, delivers the people of Israel from Egypt. They leave Egypt. Remember Passover, angel of death, firstborn dead, all that stuff. You remember all that? I just don't have enough time to tell the whole story of Genesis right now, or Exodus. Is that okay? So they get out to the, to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. And the army of Egypt is chasing them down with uh, their cavalry and with their chariots. And, whoa, what are we going to do? And the pillar of God stands between them and the Egyptians. And all night long, the Red Sea is parted by a great wind. And they walk through the Red Sea on dry land. That's, a pro that's, in, that's incredible. They get to the other side. The Egyptians follow them into the Red Sea. And the horse and rider, they fell into the sea. You know the song. And they all die. It's unbelievable. How long ago was Red Sea from Rahab? Forty years. Remember, the people of Israel wandered around in the, in the wilderness. Forty years. Forty years ago. I, I won't get into it now. I don't think Rahab was 40 years old. How do I know that? She hasn't had her kids yet. We'll find out in a minute. She's still going to have kids. And she's not married yet. I know that's called foreshadowing. It's coming, okay? 
She has heard a story, not seen it. She has heard a story from beyond the Jordan River from 40 years ago. And she is filled with the dread of the Lord. What was the other story? It was the conquering of the Amorites. This was a little bit more recently in history for the people of Israel. Moses and the people of Israel had gone up to where the Amorites are, where Sihon and Og, and this is the land of Bashan. It's a fantastic land for grazing cattle and that sort of thing. And they conquered these two kings. These are great kings. In fact, one of the kings slept on a giant iron bed, which means he was a big guy, big fella. And they had conquered them. The people of Israel, a wandering nomadic tribe, had conquered these two Amorite kings who lived in fortified cities. The only way they did it was because of the power of the Lord. And so it was because of these two stories that Rahab says, I know one thing, and I know this. God has given Jericho to you, and we are scared, and I am scared. We have heard what has happened. So here's what she says. Look with me down in verse 12. Now then, first let's look at verse 11. I don't want to skip that. Here's what she says. Our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So one thing we have to make very, very clear about Rahab, she was not afraid of the Israelites. She's not afraid of the Hebrews. She's not afraid of Joshua. She's not afraid of these two spies. Who was she afraid of? She was afraid of God. God is God who judges those who rebel against him. And she wants to figure out now, I want to get out from under the judgment of God and find the favor of God. That's what she's doing. She's got a problem. She lives in a city judged by God. And she wants to get out from under the judgment of God and instead find the favor of God. And so she prays a prayer here spoken to the two spies. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with me and my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said this, our life for your life. If you do not tell this business of ours, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly with you. So she comes to the people of God representatively to God himself and says, I know I am under your judgment and by faith I am asking to be delivered out from under judgment and instead to find favor with you. And the men respond, you have found favor. We will deal kindly with you when we come into the land. So Rahab understands the Lord. She understands the Lord from the Red Sea. She understands the Lord from the great battle of the Amorites. And in her fear of the Lord, wants to seek God's favor. We have to recognize this maybe just in comparing her with the people of Israel. She knew exactly two Bible stories, or at least told two of them. How many do the people of Israel have? Red Sea, water from a rock, manna, yield from snakes, shoes never wear out. Can you believe parents? Think of that. Think you never have to buy shoes for your kid. They, I, I think part of the Hebrew in there says the, the shoes get bigger with the kid. Manna, quail, victory over enemies. In fact, we would say it this way. Israel saw the miraculous work of God every single day. And when they got up to the promised land to invade it, what did 10 spies tell the people of Israel? They're too big. 
Rahab has heard exactly two stories and says, there is no way the Canaanites can beat the people of Israel. Isn't that incredible? We call that faith. But this is not faith that is superstitious or mystical. It's faith that's based on reasonable evidence. She heard and knew and understood historical events that told her what God was like, and she believed God was actually like that, and she sought God's favor. Let's keep going. We've got to finish before one, right? Isn't that when we get out? All right. She let them down of her window by a rope because her house was built in the city wall. She lived in the wall, and she said to them, go into the hills. The pursuers will uh, encounter you if you go straight back to Israel, because we know from earlier the pursuers had headed to the Jordan River to the fords. She said, go and hide for three days. She knew how the searchers generally work. They generally look for about three days. Go hide for three days, and after three days, head back to Israel. And the guy said this, verse 17 of Joshua 2, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you've made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you will gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his blood's on his own head. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is in your house, his blood will be on that guy's head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we're going to be guiltless. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she let him down by a rope. Here's my opinion. I know we have a lot of strongly held Bible opinions in here. Are you ready? If you need to leave after you find this out, you know, that's fine. I think the scarlet cord was a different thing than the rope. See, there's somebody who's mad. No, 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 I was told it was a red rope. No, so it's a scarlet cord and a rope. Does it really matter? No, so simmer down. So they're lowering her down. They lower the guys down, and the guys tell her, put a scarlet cord in your window, and on the day of the invasion, anybody in your home will be safe. Anybody who leaves your home will not be safe. And so put the scarlet cord in your window. So they said on the day of the invasion, there needs to be the scarlet cord on your window. When she put the scarlet cord on? You see it in there? When she put it up? Day of the invasion? No, right then. They hadn't left. She's got that thing up. She's already got the cord up. And they take off, and they departed, and they went over to Joshua. She's got the scarlet cord up, and now she have a, has a covenant promise from God, scarlet cord in her window, anyone in this house will be safe from the impending doom. Anyone in this house will be safe from the impending doom. How long did they wait until they invaded Jericho? I don't know, but I did the math. The minimum amount of time it would have been was 17 days. My guess would be it was likely months. How do I, you want to know how it came over 17 days? Let me tell you anyway. Took them three days to get back. They hid out for three days. Then they went back to Joshua, and, and he said to Joshua, Joshua, guess what? The land has been given to us. The Lord is going to give us victory. And what did Joshua say? I kind of knew that 40 years ago. Like, this is not new information for me. Welcome to the party. Then for three more days, they hung out before they crossed the Jordan River. They hadn't crossed the Jordan River yet. Three days later, they crossed the Jordan River. They crossed the Jordan River, set up encampment. And then what did they do? Passover. First Passover in the promised land. So what time of year was this? This was the first month of Israel's calendar. This was the, the annual celebration of their delivery from, from Egypt. And Israel is celebrating Passover. What happened to Passover? Do you remember Passover? Passover is where they were told in Exodus, they were told, everybody gather in your house and you kill a Passover lamb and you paint on the door frames the scarlet blood of the lamb. 
And then when the doom of the angel of death comes to your home, that angel is going to pass over your home. So all the people of Israel are gathered in their tents, and they're celebrating Passover with the blood painted on their tents as a celebration of that great day of deliverance. And what does Rahab's window look like? It's got a scarlet cord on it. He says, I believe the Lord's promise through his people that when doom comes, it will pass over my home. That is where her hope is. So months she lives in this home with the scarlet cord on it. You can imagine people coming over. What's the cord all about? Oh, it's when the people of Israel invade and they destroy the city. They won't destroy this home. Do you want to stay here? What are some things that that she should have trusted? She should have trusted the big walls. She should have trusted the military. She should have trusted the king. She should have trusted uh, her, her being a woman. Maybe they won't kill the women when they wipe out the city. But what was she trusting? The covenant promises of God that the house with this cord on it will not experience the judgment of God. Instead, in that moment, in this house, we will experience the favor of God. Do you think that was weird? Don't you think it would be strange? Imagine this. Put on your your imagination hat for a minute. Imagine having to live in a place with the hope of the Lord in a place where nobody else has the hope of the Lord. What do we call that? We call that Monday, don't we? What what does Christ say in John chapter 17? Listen, I'm going to leave you guys here. And you could imagine the disciples in that upper room going, you're going to, I'm sorry, you're going to do what? No, I'm going to leave you guys here. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you here. Now, but you're still in me. You still have hope. You still have uh, the forgiveness and grace of God, but I'm going to leave you here. And so what's the mission? Get as many people into the house as we possibly can before judgment comes. And living in that tension of I have hope, I have the scarlet cord, I have grace, I have the favor of God, but at the same time, I'm not home yet. It still feels like Jericho. So she puts up the rope immediately and lives in the tension of, I already have hope in God, but I'm still stuck in Jericho. And she waits and she tells her family and her friends, if you come in my house, you will not suffer the judgment Jericho is facing. What are some of the responses you imagine she got? We know what her mom and dad said, be there shortly. You imagine what her neighbor said? I'm sorry, your house is right next to ours. If my house gets destroyed, it's a wall. Like pretty much if my house falls down, yours does. Do you understand physics? They might have said. Or you might have had some skeptics who say, the the people of Israel, have you seen them? There is no way they could conquer this wall. We have guards on the walls. They're little teeny French speaking peas and they pour slushies (laughs) off of the wall, devastating all who get sticky. Sorry, I had to make sure you were awake. Some of you were fading into veggie tales always brings us back. So here she is. And, and, and she is saying, no, I know the truth of God. How do you know the truth of God? You, you know two Bible stories. Like, so that means your little scarlet rope means something. At the end of the day, she trusted the Lord and experienced the favor of God. And anybody in her home experienced the favor of God. What would the people of Jericho think? She's crazy. She's a traitor. She's a distraction from the military preparations that need to take place. Find hope in the prostitute's house? How could you say you found hope, Rahab? Do you remember your profession? Nonetheless, she had the scarlet cord of hope hung in her window. 
I want us to take a journey on that scarlet rope, and then we'll, we'll finish the story up a little bit, sort of. You, do you know how the story ends? Rahab dies. No, I'm kidding. Go read, go read Joshua 6. But let's uh, do a couple of things here. First thing I want to remind us of about Rahab, her faith was reasonable. She did trust the Lord. She did have faith, meaning she merely believed God, but she believed God because of evidence. She believed what was, was told to her about what God had done. She believed those things she had seen, and she believed those things she had heard. So she believed it's reasonable if God can cross an entire people across the Red Sea, then they can destroy uh, Jericho. So therefore, my hope will not be in a wall. My hope will be in the God of the invading army. So her hope then was placed in God alone because that was a reasonable thing to do. Let's look at a couple of places we see the scarlet thread of hope. The first place we saw it was Passover. That's essentially what Rahab was doing. In a sense, she was, she was celebrating, along with the people of Israel, the first Passover in the promised land. She was saying, I trust that God's judgment on Jericho will pass over me. I trust that God's judgment will, will pass over me because I believe God is a God who has favored me and God keeps his promise. I'm going to look at another place where we see the scarlet thread of hope, and that's Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus 14. I know you're all like, not Leviticus 14. Again, so many of you have it memorized, I'm sure. Leviticus 14, this is the law regarding lepers. What's a leper? Someone with leprosy. Where does someone with leprosy live? Outside the camp. They're unclean. When do you get to come into the camp? When you don't have leprosy. So Leviticus 14 has uh, an interesting procedure that's done. So you've got a leper living outside the camp. You've got a little spot of leprosy on his hand. A little leprosy up up in his business, so to speak. And then one day he wakes up, he's like, hey, my leprosy's, gone. my leprosy's gone. It's awesome. So he just gets to come into camp, right? No. No, there's a, there's a thing. You've got to call the priest. Have the priest come out. You go see the priest? No. You've got to call the priest. You've got to get on his calendar. You send the Outlook uh, appointment request. He comes out when he's got time. And he comes out, and the priest looks at his head. He's like, oh, look at that. You're all better. Good for you. You should come into camp. Okay, what do I do? Here's the deal. You get a big pot. Pour some water in the pot. You get two birds. Kill one of the birds. Pour some of the blood from the dead bird into the pot of water. Chuck that bird away. Grab a scarlet yarn, a live bird, remember the one that's not dead yet, a piece of cedar for probably to make it smell better, and then uh, some hyssop. Dunk all that in the pot, live bird. So you don't, it's not a long dunk. We want this bird to stay alive. So it's not a long dunk, just kind of a dunk in. Then you pull that out and you sprinkle the leper. Then you let the live bird fly away. It's good for the live bird. Well, not... I mean, the donkey part was lame, but at least he's not dead. So, dunk it in, scarlet cord, hyssop, live bird, sprinkle the leper seven times, and then the live bird flies away, and then the leper gets to come in, right? Eh, No, first he's got to shave all his hair off. I mean, all the hair. Shave all the hair off, take a bath, and then what? Then you get to come into camp. That's fantastic. So we got a little procedure. If you have a leper and you, uh, you have a bird, kill one bird, scarlet cord, dip it in, splash seven times, shave yourself, take a bath, you're in the camp. Outside the camp, but you don't have to stay outside the camp if your leprosy is gone and, uh, and you follow this procedure. Where does Rahab live after Jericho? Joshua chapter 6. Verse 22, Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. 
The two men who had spied out the land, this is after Jericho. If you don't know the story of Jericho, rent the VeggieTales movie. Uh, they lose. Go into the prostitute's house. Bring out from the prostitute's house everyone who's living there. Come on, Josh, learn her name. I mean, that's rude. Anyway. The young men who had been spies went and brought Rahab out, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. Anyone in Rahab's house? Good to go. Favor of the Lord. Avoid judgment. They brought all her relatives out, and where did they put them? They put them outside the camp. Why did they put them outside the camp? They're foreigners. They're unclean. You can't come into camp. You're not of Israel. So Rahab lives with the people of Israel. In fact, the author of Joshua says towards the end of that passage, she lives with the people of Israel, or the, the, the uh, offspring of Rahab lives with the people of Israel to this day. So this is what we know. Did, did Rahab stay outside the camp? That's a tougher question, isn't it? No, she didn't. Rahab didn't stay outside the camp. Let's look at it. First stop, uh, the plane's gone. Sorry, good job, Brian. He knew what I told him earlier. If the plane stayed up there, you would just look at the plane. It's not going anywhere. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth. Oh, all the ladies, Boaz and Ruth. Oh. Hallmark Channel, here we go. And he went in, the Lord gave her a conception, she bore a son, and the women said to Naomi, yay, you have a kid, and Ruth has a kid, and Boaz has a kid. And these are, this is the kid. They named the kid Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Ruth was a Moabite. So she came into the camp because she was redeemed by Boaz. Who was Boaz? Uh, uh, who are his ancestors? Well, Ruth tells us. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez was one of Judah's uh, descendants. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amadadab. A dog is what we called him. Adog fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse was David's father. Why did I pause on Salmon? Who married Salmon? Well, we're in Rahab. I mean, it's kind of a setup. I mean, it's not a, it's not a trick question. It's, it's, it's Rahab. I, I know maybe you're like, well, are we going somewhere else? No, it's Rahab. So we know Rahab didn't stay in outside the camp because she marries Salmon. How do we know we, she married Salmon? More stops on the scarlet cord. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, and Zerah. There's a whole other scarlet cord story there. You can go to Genesis 38 and read it. Down in verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab... And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. So in one verse, two outsiders. Rahab and Ruth. Outside the camp, now inside the camp, now in the tribe of Judah, now in the lineage of David, now in the lineage of Messiah the king. That's inside the camp. That's the scarlet cord of hope bringing someone out of shame and judgment and destruction, not into just avoiding death, but into what we would like to call favor. Favored status. One last little aside before we get into the second three quarters of the message. There was another guy in the tribe of Judah, really closely related to Joshua, 
His name was Aiken. When I was a kid, I remember a Sunday school teacher telling me, Aiken was Aiken. What did Aiken do? Aiken, at the invasion of Jericho, saw a wedge of gold, some silver, and some really nice, really nice clothes. I mean, these must have been some really nice clothes. These were like Generation 1 Michael Jordan kicks or something. I don't know. These were like some really nice clothes. He takes all these and hides them in his tent. What happened? Do you remember what happened to Aiken? It gets found out when they go to conquer Ai and they lose that God's not with them because Achan has taken those things which were set apart, Corban, unto God, and all of Achan's family, wife, children, every listen, everybody in his home found judgment. You think these two stories occur next to each other for no apparent reason? Who was there when Achan and all of those in his home were stoned to death? Who was there? Rahab. Outside the camp, where was Achan stoned again? Outside the camp. So you have Rahab living in Jericho who says, I don't need Jericho because I want the Lord. And you have Achan among the people of the Lord who says, I'm not sure about the Lord, but I'll take a piece of Jericho. And his house was judged because he missed the favor of God because he decided God wasn't as fearful as he thought he was. Isn't that incredible? An outsider becomes an insider because of her faith. God is a God of his word and his covenant promises. And an insider, because of his familiarity, abandons God because he has no fear of him. And because he doesn't think God keeps his promises. We have time for two more stories about lepers. Well, if you set it up that way, of course we do. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. I want to tie a knot on this scarlet cord. Uh, just connecting just sort of some thematic dots, if we can say it that way. Jesus was coming down a mountain. That's what he was doing. And there was a leper, and the leper came up to him and knelt by him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What Jesus do? It's incredible. You, Jesus puts his hand on him. He says, yeah, I'll do that. You're healed. Jesus touched the leper. That's bad business. Now he's unclean, right? No, because you can't make God in the flesh unclean. He's not worried about it. So Jesus touches the leper as a way of communicating, not only do I heal you, I am the one who makes clean. And then he says this to the leper. Verse 4, Jesus said, don't tell anyone about this. That didn't work. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. What's the gift Moses commanded? Pot of water. Two birds. Kill the bird. Blood in. Mixy-mixy. Dunk the one bird, scarlet cord, splashy, splashy, get at the wall clippers, take a bath, in like flame. We're back in the camp. So he tells him to go do that, which is interesting. Here's Jesus healing a leper, touching the leper, and then telling him to go and follow the Mosaic uh, commands related to uh, coming back into the camp. We're going to leave that there and look at another one. Luke chapter 17. This is even more exciting. I know, you, I can tell you're just, oh, tell us. Stop. All right. On the way to Jerusalem, between Samaria and Galilee. What? Why would he be there? He entered a village and he met ten lepers. Now he's got lepers coming out of his ears. They stood at a distance and hollered at him. Hey, would you, take, would you hook us up? And Jesus says to them, doesn't go near him, doesn't touch him. He says, yeah, go show yourself to the priest. Just go show yourself to the priest. And they, and they, and they leave. You remember this story? Yeah, this is, isn't this amazing? So on the way, the leprosy gets better. Like it just starts getting better. 
like soft skin. Wow, this is cool. Keep walking. Walking to the priest, okay? All ten are gone. But then finally, one of them comes back to Jesus. One of them came back, and he was uh, kneeling before Jesus at his feet, praising God and thanking him. And in fact, here's one little detail what we learn about them. He was a Samaritan. Worse than a prostitute in Jericho, if we can put it that way, okay? Jesus answered, weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Why is Jesus surprised that the other nine didn't show up? Where did he tell them to go? Go to the priest. Where's the priest? He's standing there. Oh, you're going to go see that priest? Why would you? That priest is going to die. He sends him to the priest. How do I know this is the case? The Samaritan comes back and he says, was only one guy found or would give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he says this to the Samaritan, rise and go where? Your way. He doesn't tell him to go back to the priest. Why? Because he's standing by him. He doesn't need donkey, donkey, birdie in the thingy. He's standing by Jesus. He's got a priest. And he's got better blood than a bird's blood. And he's got better promises than a Levitical promise. And he's got better forgiveness than a, a temporary priestly fix. So a Samaritan comes back and stands before the priest who can't be made to stay dead, whose blood will completely cleanse him. And he tells the Samaritan, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. His faith in Christ cleansed him. Outsiders, what do they become? Insiders. The cord of, uh, the scarlet cord is in fact finally found its home in the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is where that cord goes. From Rahab to living outside the camp to moving into the camp to marrying Salmon, son of Judah, to bearing a son who becomes Boaz, to bearing a further son who becomes the Messiah, and the Messiah dies on the cross, and now there's no need for a cord in my window because there's shed blood on a cross. And there's no worry about ever dying because he came to life. And that's where the scarlet cord of hope goes. We might even say it this way, in Christ we're hanging by a thread. And it's all we've got. And it's all we need. Three things, and then we're done. Rahab versus Achan. Rahab, by faith, knew God. And because of that, had a fear of God with very little information. Achan, in his rebellion, knew of God, but did not fear God. And as a result, the outsider became an insider and escaped judgment. And the insider, by lack of faith, experience judgment. In this case, familiarity can become our enemy. If in our study of the word, if in our prayer, if in our worship, we are not on occasion every now and then having a little bit of cold sweat drip down the back of our neck as we realize that God is creator of the universe, then we might need to come to him in repentance and say, God, somehow I've become too insiderish. Remind me again that I'm only in you, that I'm hanging by a thread, and that thread is the blood of Christ. There is an appropriate and strong place for the fear of the Lord in the life of every believer. Rahab versus Jericho. Rahab trusted the scarlet cord of uh, the covenant promises of God more than the power of Jericho, 
more than the military of Jericho, the economy of Jericho, more than her skills, more than her, more than the lure of the power and strength of the world, she trusted that thread of scarlet hope. And there's an important place in the life of every believer every now and then to say, how do I say to myself when I get up in the morning, I'm okay? And if it's all the stuff of this world, I need to recognize that's shaky ground and I'm not okay. The reason you and I can wake up in the morning, feet hit the ground and say, I'm okay, is because we're hanging by a thread. The scarlet thread of Jesus' blood in his covenant promises. Okay, last one. Rahab versus Shame. Do you think Rahab experienced any shame over her life? I mean, 20 years later, 30 years later, sitting around a campfire, and a little grandkid said, Grandma, tell us again the story of when you used to be a prostitute. Do you think that just goes away? you think she just waits? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. you think that, you think that just goes away? Do you think Rahab just, oh, everything's fine. I no longer uh, let my mind mingle in those places of darkness where that shame is overwhelming. How do we overcome the shame of back story? How do we overcome the shame of today's story? And the way Rahab did it is the way every person in the Bible does it, how every person of faith does it. We abandon our story and instead participate in the story of Christ. That's what she did. The thread of hope is no longer Rahab's story. It is now she participating in the work of God to redeem mankind through the Messiah. And the way we step away from shame is say, you know what? It's no longer about my story. Jesus redeems that story. The question is today, how do I by faith participate in the bigger story, the work of Christ to redeem mankind from their sin? Well, what's one way we can do it? What did Jesus say? I forget what he said just before he took off. What was it? Uh, go and make disciples? What's another way we can say go and make disciples? Anybody you get into your house won't be condemned. That's what, you know, that's, that's all Rahab was doing, was she was just doing Matthew. Matthew 28. That's all she was doing. She's going and making disciples. You get in my house, judgment comes, you're fine. Well, but, you know, my neighbor will think I'm weird. They won't when the walls fall down. So one of the ways we abandon our story is say, well, what has God called me to do? He's called me to know Jesus through his word. He's called me to prayer, and he's called me to give the hope of Christ to the people around me and say, you want to get in the house of God. I'm not talking about this church building. I'm talking about the house of God, those who are indwelt by the Spirit through faith. How do we abandon our shame? Trust Jesus for forgiveness and abandon our story and instead, by faith, participate with Jesus in his story of saving the world. That's a big story, and it's a joy to be a part of it.